Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pekulski, currently on vacation in actually in southern Alberta right now, uh, working our way through Alberta and British Columbia, Canada with my children, enjoying beautiful Rocky Mountains through Banff and Lake Louise and Field, um, British Columbia, and working our way to Golden, British Columbia. What a beautiful part of the world. If you haven't had a chance to visit, I highly recommend getting out there, getting here, ultimately enjoying the hikes, enjoying beautiful lakes, and just the glory of the Rocky Mountains, uh, the air quality, the strange nature of you know, the sun setting at 11 p.m. every day and rising at 5 a.m. has definitely made for long days and short nights, but for whatever reason, still incredibly energized, feel really, really great, doing a lot of self-experimentation out here, some fasting, some glucose control mechanisms, that I will be presenting for you guys soon in the future. And I've been enjoying it a lot. Uh, really great time to connect with my kids, ultimately invest in the most important thing in my life. And that's my family, my children, and my body, my health. Truly uh, a needed and appreciated time away from the daily grind. And for me, the daily grind is not something I ever complain about, right? My daily grind is working with amazing humans. And that's my team. And that's my coaching clients. And helping people optimize their day, helping them optimize their body, helping them optimize their mind and their life. And that's uh, truly what makes my soul light up, right? And people asked me recently, actually, why do I do what I do? Why do I love what I do? And really, it's about uh, simplifying your process. You know, I've been through a lot with this body, this gift that I've been given from the universe, from God, from wherever you want to believe it comes from. And um, I think one of the gifts that I've been given is the ability to see problems quickly, right? See solutions to problems quickly. And uh, because I've been doing this for 25 years, and I didn't start from an easy place. You know, I started from a place of ultimately sickness and obesity and, and uh, living in a family of obese alcoholics my entire childhood. There was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of mental chaos in my mind and, and in my environment. And it allowed me the opportunity to sift through um, ultimately, how I could not uh, exist that way. You know, as early as seven years old, I remember saying to myself, I'm just not like these people and not taking no for an answer. You know, my stubborn nature, uh, sometimes my greatest asset, sometimes my greatest liability. Uh, you guys will understand that. I say it a lot. Sometimes your greatest gift is also your biggest curse. Uh, and again, maybe curse is a bit of an overstatement, but uh, this ability to continually pursue my best. You know, my bet, my self betterment has a, for 25 years through professional bodybuilding, you know, being one of the top 10 bodybuilders in the world for many years, uh, competing in Mr. Olympia twice, competing in their own classic has allowed me to experience a lot of challenges, a lot of roadblocks, and ultimately experience a lot of opportunities. And these opportunities have, have afforded me the ability to pass on this wisdom and pursue um, the the ultimate the ultimate destination, right, which is uh, an optimized daily experience. You know, I want to have uh, what I want today, and I want to I want to live, uh, love, and be free, and feel amazing in the process. Which to me means I want to have an abundance of energy, right? I want to have energy for two. I want to have enough energy for you can jump on my back. I'm gonna go with you, right? Ideally, I want energy for four. You know, my entire family hop on my back and let's go. Um, I want to have clarity, and that's focus and direction, uh, right? And then so that ultimately ends in progress. You know? So what we're all looking for is, is that simple equation. We're looking for an abundance of energy. We're looking for clarity. And that ultimately equals progress, right? If I have an abundance of energy to do everything I need to do, there'll never be a shortage of that. 
So today's podcast is going to dive specifically into how to understand internal metrics in the pursuit of abundance of energy, right? To have the abundance of physical capability, and that means ultimately, quote unquote, health, right? And health is this really broad umbrella term that sometimes gets overused and underdefined. Um, but so really, for me, health is, is, the, is the ability to adapt to impose demand and ultimately have an abundance of energy to do everything I want. Um, not just now, but for the next 50 years and, or longer, hopefully, right? And uh, so it's not just about living long, it's about living strong. And the guy who joins me today is Dr. Gil Blander, the uh, founder and creator of Inside Tracker. I take a huge interest in internal metrics, right? I want to objectify things. I don't want to just do something and think it works. I want to objectify it. Is it working? Do I feel better subjectively? And is it working better objectively? There's many ways to test that, right? You guys have heard my podcast in the past where we, we speak a lot about internal blood metrics. Um, so we've had many guests talk about blood markers, urine markers, stool analysis, DNA analysis. Um, so if you haven't listened to those podcasts, go back and listen. And uh, there's many that come to mind. I won't mention any specifically. We'll, we'll attach some in the show notes. Maybe Dr. Dan Garner would be a great place to start. Or Dan Garner, he's a brilliant, brilliant uh, internal expert, we'll say. Um, that's a good one to start with, and, and right after you listen to this one, of course. So Dr. Gil Blander is, an, uh, as I said, the CEO and founder of Inside Tracker. He is also a um, you know, quote-unquote expert in uh, human systems. He has a PhD in biology from Wellesman Institute of Science and did his postgraduate in research on aging at MIT, so definitely no slouch. He's definitely not an underachiever, we'll say. He said he was fascinated by aging, uh, by the aging process from a relatively young age because he had a relative pass away. We talked a little bit about that. We talk about um, you know, specific biomarkers that are useful in athletic performance and in longevity. We talk about uh, how to ultimately understand what you're seeing when you're getting all these metrics thrown at you when you're looking at your blood, your urine, your stool, your, your saliva. Um, Dr. Blander brings more than 18 years of experience in systems biology, computational biology, aging metabolism. So these are separate things, aging slash metabolism and caloric restriction research as the chief science officer at Inside Tracker. And uh, he's also just currently a, uh, just a brilliant, brilliant guy leading the charge in longevity space. We talk about things that are common in this space like mTOR, rapamycin, sirtuins, resveratrol. If you don't know those words, you will by the end of the podcast. Um, and um, many people are, are jumping on the metformin bandwagon, whether or not that's useful or not. Um, we talk about mitochondrial efficiency, uh, ROS reactive, reactive oxygen species, free radicals, and ultimately how to believe you're a superhuman and act like it. Today's podcast was an excellent one. You're going to love it. And it's brought to you by our friends at BiOptimizers. BiOptimizers is one of my favorite companies to ultimately help myself optimize. Specific things that I like from optimizers that I think really everyone should be on, all my clients take um, their digestive enzymes, which specifically is called Masszymes, M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S.com. You guys can get hooked up with 10% off Masszymes if you head over to masszymes.com and use the code MUSCLE10. And they have an incredible array of other products as well. Um, why I personally use Masszymes, two specific reasons. One, proteolytic enzymes, which is what Masszymes uh, is, are, is actually been shown to decrease inflammation. So inflammation we know is correlated with you know, disease or you know, the absence of health. 
and uh, ultimate pain and discomfort and decreased mobility over time. And uh, by taking a few of these, I usually take about five to six, which is a lot, but I'm a big guy, um, between meals or away from food to help break down inflammation. Or sometimes I'll take three or four, even sometimes two or three with a meal to support digestion. So if I'm taking you know, anything more than six ounces of protein at a meal, as a man in my 40s, I actually want to support digestion by adding in proteolytic enzymes. And they have an amazing video demonstration over at masszymes.com. If you guys check that out, uh, you'll see how well this stuff actually works. It's really, really tremendous. Uh, once again, that's masszymes.com and use the code MUSCLE10 for 10% off. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me here at the Most Intelligent Podcast. Sorry for the long intro. Enjoy the podcast with Dr. Gil Blander. Well, so let's get rolling. Let's talk right about superhumans because ultimately, Dr. that's what I am, right? That's what I do is, is I, I'm coaching people to ultimately get to that level. And that's why I take interest in people like yourself and Dr. Galpin. And um, the, one, of the, one of the conversations that I often have is I say that, you know, the people that I'm interested in are the people who begin where everyone else ends. So let's just begin by saying, like, what, is it, what does it mean to be superhuman? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question. I think that uh, first it should be in your brain that you're superhuman because I don't think that uh, the superhuman are the superhuman, but there are people that uh, you need to believe in that. And, and, and let's start by people like me, above 50, uh, I don't know, uh, not uh, uh, that people will think about me. I'm definitely not a superhuman, but I can have it in my brain that I'm a superhuman, I'm an athlete. And uh, for me, normal is not enough. So if, you, if we're going for a second for the blood biomarkers, normal is not, uh, is not enough. Normal, I don't want you to compare me to a 90 years old lady or a, an obese person. I want to be compared to people like me that are fit, that are exercising and uh, strive to live forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone wants to be, uh, as we discussed before, uh, 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 strive to be like uh, David Sinclair, okay? Um, so first it should be in your brain. You need to believe that you are unique. And uh, I always say we are the best and the most complex machine that we have. So we need to optimize it. Don't feed it with junk. Uh, if you have a Ferrari, you don't uh, 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 feed it or you don't uh, 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 put the gasoline in the Ferrari like the, a trappy car. You, you give her a love, you, you feed it well, you treat it well, you take it to the technician. So do the same for your body. So that's uh, uh, starting with that. If you think about the superhuman, so think about, I don't know, the LeBron James and the, I don't know, the Steph Carys of the world. They are gifted, okay? They are, even if uh, 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 Gil, or I don't know about Ben, maybe you can go there. I, I definitely cannot be LeBron James and uh, Steph Curry. Um, they are gifted. But even if they are gifted, I've seen, I, I went to a Celtics games that they uh, uh, play against the Golden State, and I arrived like an hour uh, earlier. And I've seen, I've seen Steph Curry shooting like 100 shoot of uh, three before the game. Because he knows, even if when he's gifted, he needs to work hard. You cannot be in the NBA if you are not a hard worker. So to be in the NBA, first you need to be gifted, and second to be a hard worker. Most of us are not uh, gifted. So what we can do is to be a hard worker, take care of your body, maintain it well, and try to strive to the best. Okay, I know that I won't be at the NBA, but my goal is to be at 90s and uh, climb a, a mountain. That's what I want to do. So in order to do that, maintain your body and be there. That, that's how I see, uh, let's say, the superhuman. 
Yeah. And I have, this, I mean, you get it being in that space. Like I think everyone has a gift in certain areas and, and, and probably some different physical area, some different mental area. And I think you just got to find it. Right. So some people like in your case, maybe you're incredibly gifted at endurance running, or maybe you're incredibly gifted at I don't know, some specific sport. One of my gifts growing up that I just kind of found by accident was hand-eye coordination. Like if there was a sport that required hand-eye coordination, I was unbeatable. And like, I had it from the time I was four years old. And and so I think that's um, just like exposing yourself to enough things that you are able to kind of decipher what what is it that I'm really exceptional at. Um, I think I, I have to, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong. I haven't met everybody in the world, but I have to have a belief that most people have the have the unique abilities that maybe they just don't pursue. And, and as you say, if they don't have the mindset to do it, it's not going to happen. So tell me about your interest in aging. You said you took interest in aging at a super young age when someone close to you passed away? Yeah. So um, I can go back to there. So when I was 12, a, a relative uh, passed away from actually cancer. And instead of being sad about her, that was my aunt, I was uh, sad about myself because I realized that I won't live forever. And, uh, and I said, I, I have to understand why. Why can't we live forever? Why can't we be around? Why uh, can we delay the onset of aging-related diseases? Uh, how can we uh, improve not only the longevity, but also uh, the quality of life and basically what we call health span. So lifespan is the, basically the time from birth to death. Health span is the time from birth to disease. And I think that it's not less important for us to expand this time of the health span and not only the lifespan because nobody wants to be at the age of 70 lying on the bed connected to a lot of tubes and cannot do anything. That's not fun. Um, so because of that, I uh, decided uh, to study biology. And uh, as we discussed before, I, I was born and raised in Israel. So I done my PhD at the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel. And then uh, I, I decided to join the lab of Lenny Garente at MIT, which is the, uh, one of the leaders in uh, aging research. Uh, actually, Lenny found the sirtonin, uh, which is a, a, in human, you have seven uh, uh, proteins from uh, 31 to 37. In the uh, East, uh, you have uh, uh, the protein called SIRT2. And he done a screen and found that uh, this is a longevity gene because you, when you overexpress it, it's, it's uh, increased the lifespan of uh, uh, the East. When you delete it, the East lives shorter. Uh, uh, another post postdoc in the lab showed that actually you can do the same in the uh, uh, worms. So when you uh, overexpress this gene, you can extend the lifespan. Um, as I said, there are seven homologs in a uh, human, uh, and uh, uh, at least few of them have been shown to increase lifespan. One of them that is very exciting today is CIRT6 that have been shown to increase lifespan uh, in mice in, uh, by several different labs. CIRT1, which is, uh, uh, let's say, the closest homolog to CIRT2, have been shown also to increase lifespan in brain. Uh, so very interesting uh, uh, protein. I worked on that for a, a few years. Uh, and then uh, uh, when I arrived to, uh, uh, to Boston and worked at MIT, I started to ex be exposed to the biotech, uh, pharmaceutical, high-tech environment of uh, 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 the area around MIT called Kendall Square. And I realized that uh, maybe I can, can contribute more to humanity if I will start my own uh, uh, company than uh, being a professor in the academia that might publish a couple of uh, papers uh, a year that maybe a couple of other scientists will read. Um, so I uh, left MIT uh, and uh, joined uh, um, 
computational biology system biology company today it's called data science but at that time uh, nobody added this term yet and I was trying to find an idea or a, a subject that I can work on and basically start a company on and I, I used the technology there uh, to do some uh, cool experiment like uh, experiment on a uh, caloric restriction I'm sure uh, Ben that you know what what is that and I'm sure that your audience know what what is that so it have been shown to extend lifespan and In almost every model organism, even in human, you have some uh, a sign that it can uh, at least uh, improve uh, markers related to longevity. And I was trying to understand what's happening in, under the hood, why caloric restriction extends the lifespan. And I done this experiment with uh, uh, all genome uh, changes in uh, DNA, uh, RNA, uh, uh, proteomics, and uh, um, In addition to that, I also use uh, uh, one control which was interesting is resveratrol. And I assume that uh, also you and your audience uh, heard about resveratrol. So at that time, uh, David Sinclair uh, done an experiment uh, in mice that uh, he treat mice with resveratrol and he showed that uh, uh, obese mice with resveratrol uh, uh, live longer than obese mice without resveratrol. So I use this data and try to see What is the overlap between the resveratrol treated mice and the normal mice? Okay? What I've seen uh, actually that uh, uh, there was only around 10% overlap between uh, the processes that were changing by uh, caloric restriction and the processes that uh, was changing by uh, resveratrol. And at that time, resveratrol was uh, the most important and the best caloric restriction mimetic. Today, there are a few other uh, drugs that we can discuss later. Um, so I said, if the best one cover only 10%, maybe the second one will cover a uh, 7% and the next one 5% and so on. So I might need like a uh, 20 different uh, uh, small molecules to, uh, uh, to mimic the effect of caloric restriction. And then I discussed it with a couple of other scientists and we said, why should we use drug? Let's use food as a drug of choice. Let's move the uh, drug cabinet from uh, uh, the bathroom to the refrigerator. We have like 8,000 different food items. Let's try to use them to optimize our body. And then we said, okay, but how are we going to do that? So very fast, we zoomed into uh, blood biomarkers because blood validate and calibrate everything. Um, blood uh, is very rich in a way that uh, we have data about blood biomarkers in the peer-reviewed scientific publication in the last 100 years. So a lot of data, a lot of uh, uh, clinical trial studies, Uh, blood also is, a, a, a st- is changing all the time. So it's not a steady. It's a, a, you can, a, there is an action-reaction. You eat such a food, the, a, some biomarker can go up. You, uh, you don't eat a food, it can go down. You take a supplement, it can modulate it. So we said blood can be a great a, a marker to allow us to understand what is the situation of each person. Because our theory at that time, now we proved it, that actually every person have a, a, a bit of a different uh, issues at a different time. And if you know that and you look at that, you can understand what are the issues, then you can intervene. So at the beginning we said, uh, uh, let's use food, but we can also use supplement, we can also use exercise, we can also use lifestyle changes. And based on that, let's try to optimize our uh, blood biomarkers. And hopefully that will allow us first to delay the sickness And hopefully also increase the lifespan. So that was the, basically the genesis of uh, the company that I founded in uh, 2009. The name of the company is Insa Tracker. And in addition to uh, using the blood, we also said, 
and it's going back to your definition of superhuman, we said every blood biomarker have a normal range, and the normal range is a, a calculate from the whole population, basically the diagnostic lab looking at, uh, I don't know, 10,000 people and coming and saying, uh, two standard deviation above and below, let's take them in, and that's the normal range. But that's, that's uh, I, I would say, it's not smart. Why it's not smart? Because we are, you're comparing ourselves to 90 years old lady or a, a, an obese person or someone that uh, drink alcohol all the time and a lot of sick people. So we said, let's develop an optimal zone for each person based on his age, gender, ethnicity, athletic activity. And then you have an optimal zone that it's a much narrower from the normal zone. So let's assume that the normal zone like that, the optimal zone will be much smaller. And then if we can uh, keep you in the optimal zone, you have a better chance not to go out of the normal zone. And by that, you have a better uh, chance to live longer, better life. So that is basically the genesis of uh, uh, tracker. This makes me so happy to hear you talking about this. Like I'm, I'm somebody who does my blood work a lot. I do urine analysis, stool analysis, and uh, I'm just always so dissatisfied, whether it be for myself or my clients, in reading their lab work and saying, oh, look, I'm in the normal range. And I'm like, what does that even mean? And to be honest, I'm certainly no expert in, in reading lab work, but to find someone like yourself who's committed your life and your, your team's life, ultimately finding what it means to define these, these optimal ranges, just is, it makes me feel so empowered to now that I can aspire to that. We have somebody who's actually setting that standard. And I'm curious how accurate you believe you are at this point. Cause like, like, you know, since 2009, obviously you've been doing it for 13 years. Um, do we think we have relatively narrow, accurate ranges for most of the blood markers? Or are you still kind of figuring some of those things out? Yeah. So when we started, uh, we haven't had a lot of data. So what we done, we mined the peer reviewed scientific publication. And based on that, we came with the ranges. And I can give you an example, like a simple biomarker as a fasting glucose. So we look at the literature and we found that uh, there is a lot of data from a Frenningham heart study, which uh, it, uh, it is a study that was done. Frenningham is a small town next to Boston. And uh, uh, the NIH decided to do a study in the 50s. And let's uh, they decided, let's follow all the population of this town uh, from a very early age until death and measure a lot of things. And let's learn from the population. So they also measure glucose. So uh, a lot of studies came from that. And one study looked at a correlation between the level of blood glucose in a young age to your longevity. So how long you, do you live based on the level of blood glucose? And what they found, which was a, a very exciting for me, they show a very nice uh, a correlation for a subpopulation that, uh, let's say, at the 40s have a relatively lower glucose to a, a longer longevity then a subpopulation that at 40, they had, let's say, a, a glucose level of 90, which is still normal, but it is a, a bit higher than the other subpopulation. So based on that, we could come and start developing a, an optimal range for a, a specific subpopulation. So in this case, we looked at age and the gender because they done it for a different gender and show different ages. So that's a, a, what we done at the beginning for a, the majority of the blood biomarkers. Now we have a very big database, so we can uh, basically start uh, looking at a subpopulation even in a, a better way. What is the range for uh, someone that is uh, more athletic active? 
what is the range for, uh, we can even get into a range of, uh, let's say, a 10K runner versus half a marathon versus uh, a full marathon. Because we have uh, much more data that we can start uh, refining the ranges. So that's one point that I wanted to discuss. The second point is we published a paper in 2018 on a, a cohort of 1,000 users that use InsertTracker. Uh, and we looked at, uh, we compared their baseline to the follow-up. And uh, on average, they uh, done the follow-up after seven months. This subpopulation uh, actually uh, used 525 different interventions. So it was very personalized. On average, each intervention were, were selected by only two people. And then we looked at a, a, a part of this population, for example, that started with high glucose or high LDL and looked at the effect of uh, the treatment with the personalized uh, intervention on the blood biomarkers. And what we have seen, a very statistical significant, but also clinical significant result that showed that actually those that uh, follow the intervention improve significantly their blood biomarkers. So we have now data that show that indeed, uh, when you follow a platform like InstaTracker, you can uh, definitely improve blood biomarkers without uh, needing to use uh, drugs or without uh, going to a physician, at least in the subpopulation or the population that we looked at. That's amazing. And it sounds like, you know, you guys are going to have an amazing business in like 30 to 40 years when you have 40 years of accumulated data and actually can start determining when all these people die. So it's going to continue to get better. That's exciting, right? So is that, is that the plan? Is that just like to follow people as long as we can determine when they, when they pass and start to determine longevity data? It's not only that. So first of all, we developed a, a, another product called InnerAge, and actually we developed it together with David Sinclair and Lenny Garante. And the idea is, let's use the blood biomarkers to estimate what is your age, not based on a, your birthday, but based on the blood biomarkers. So we developed the first version together with Lenny and uh, David uh, in 2015. And uh, around a year ago, because we had so much data, we develop it, uh, the, uh, the next version that basically look at our data. So it's not on a, based on peer-reviewed scientific publication, or, but based on our data. When we, when we have more data, we can also start giving you a very personalized and directed, it's like a directed missile of recommendation of what should you do. Because we, we are not only looking at your blood, we are looking, uh, uh, in addition to that, on the, your DNA and data from fitness tracker. So, for example, let's take fitness tracker. So, let's take a, a resting heart rate. So, if we have a, a data from you, Ben, for the last year of a, a resting heart rate, a daily resting heart rate, I can start a look at that and give you some uh, correlation and come and say, hey, uh, Ben, at the day that uh, your REM sleep is low, your resting heart rate is higher. Or at the day that you are exercising mainly in the evening, your, rest, your resting heart rate is higher the day after, than the day that you exercise in the morning. And uh, uh, at the day that you eat this specific food, your resting heart rate is actually lower. So a lot of uh, very personal information that can uh, allow you to uh, basically make a very small changes and come say, hey, maybe I should exercise in the morning because for me it's better for the resting heart rate. Or maybe I should uh, eat this food uh, instead of that food. So a lot of that information can come because we are collecting so much uh, data about you specifically. I call it an N of one experiment. And I have a lot of uh, data rich about Ben, but also I can uh, uh, look specifically on a, a specific biomarker 
and uh, look at the population and then give you some information, say, uh, Ben, you are athletic active, let's assume that you are a weightlifter, okay? So you are a weightlifter, and when we are looking at weightlifters, we have this information about them. So because uh, someone in your age and gender, this uh, recommendation most likely work, uh, work for you, and then we can look at the data and say, hey, but it didn't work for you, okay, so let's adjust it. So we are building uh, AI and uh, machine learning uh, capability that allow us to give you a very good recommendation and also allow you to work on an issue that uh, currently coming for you. For example, you wake up in the morning and we observe together that your REM sleep and deep sleep haven't been good. We can look at a, a try to understand why is it, give you an intervention, and hopefully the next morning that you wake up, it will be better. So basically a feedback loop that will allow us to optimize uh, Ben or any other person and make him better and better. So in order to do that, we have to start defining then what you guys would say are the greatest levers for longevity, right? So you obviously mentioned uh, heart rate as being an indicator. You mentioned sirtuins. You mentioned sleep. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you just could, would go down a list to start identifying maybe the internal blood markers or the whatever the, whatever comes to mind when when you're thinking like, hey, these internal signals or, or markers are most correlated with longevity. Therefore, if we uh, optimize for these, we know we're going to have positive outcomes. Yeah. So it's, it's a very good question. And for uh, our product, InnerEdge, what we've done, we looked at uh, our blood biomarker that we are testing, and we are testing uh, a bit more than 40 blood biomarkers and try to see which biomarkers are changing with, with age, basically either going up or going down with age, okay? And then we said, if they are going up, and let's assume that, Ben, you are uh, below the, the, the graph, meaning for your age, uh, let's say that your glucose is 75, but uh, the mean of InstaTracker population is 85. And let me, uh, for a second, define the InstaTracker population. Our population is really a healthy population. So it's not like we don't have sick people. We are uh, uh, telling everyone that want to use InstaTracker, it's only for healthy. So we have, uh, in a way, Ben is competing. Your competition is harder than looking at something else because if you look at the normal population, you have a lot of sick people or not healthy people. For us, it's very healthy. So if you are below, that means that you're already better than the uh, the, the better. It's like uh, you are closer to superhuman, let's say, than someone that is not in this tracker. And then if you are below, we can come and say, hey, uh, because this marker is going up and you are below, that means that uh, uh, you are uh, basically younger for this biomarker uh, uh, um, for your inner age. And then we are looking at uh, around 16 blood biomarkers and combining all together. So if you think about blood biomarkers that are important for longevity, it's not a uh, a, a surprise that marker like uh, fasting glucose and A1C. A1C is a marker that basically look at, a, a, let's say, the average level of uh, glucose that you had in your body for the last 90 days. And uh, markers such as LDL cholesterol and uh, markers such as inflammation markers and, uh, um, and uh, uh, other hormones. All of that together giving us some uh, indication about your age. So that's one thing that uh, you can definitely look at and uh, uh, related to longevity. Then you mentioned all the physiological markers. So uh, uh, markers such as uh, resting heart rate that basically show uh, your fitness and your stress. HRV, which uh, 
I'm sure that you discuss in your podcast uh, 50,000 times, is another one. VO2 max is, a, is another one. So basically, I call it a physiological mark, okay? And then you have more like a phenotypical marker, um, like a grip uh, strength. It's something that uh, if you look at a, a, a scientist that studied aging, that's a, a very important marker that uh, actually uh, define uh, how uh, a fit you are, is the grip strength. Another one is a walking speed. So, uh, um, by the way, I, I started a podcast called Longevity by Design that we are interviewing. We are interviewing uh, the best and the greatest in, uh, in aging research. And recently, like last week, I interviewed uh, Roger Fielding, which is a professor at Tufts that uh, studied uh, exercise physiology in uh, uh, aging population. And uh, uh, he mentioned that another marker that I, I wasn't aware about it, but it's interesting, he said walking speed is another indicator of uh, 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 long longevity of, or fit. I think so quality you, of movement, right? Like that's what, that's what I teach is like quality of, if you think of someone in their old age and you think of someone who moves really well, that has to be the number one thing correlated with longevity, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you can move, you, can, you are more... Uh, and also, if you think about it, exercise is making you happier and relaxed. And um, so, so walking speed, I was very happy because I'm a fast walker. So I said, oh, great, I might live long. <laughs> but so, so, so uh, what I'm saying, there are the, those phenotypic uh, information. And then uh, you can look at uh, some more, let's say, sophisticated method to, uh, to try to predict longevity. So I'm sure that you heard about Horvath's clock or epigenetic uh, clock. So those are a, a newer clock that can, uh, I think that they can predict your age very well. It's still not clear what is the mechanism, why the epigenetic connected to uh, your age. And also another problem that you have with them that I, I'm trying to uh, figure out, it's how can you make it actionable? Because let's assume that Ben, that you are 20 and your epigenetic age is uh, 25, Okay. What Ben can do in order to uh, modify it? Today is not clear. So what uh, I'm trying to do is to build an epigenetic clock that will be lifestyle responsive. So basically to train it in a way that uh, we will uh, build the uh, epigenetic clock based on an experiment of uh, someone that eat a, a healthy diet versus not healthy diet, someone that exercise versus not exercising, someone that uh, lose weight versus uh, someone that have a high BMI. So a lot of things like that. And then you build basically lifestyle, resp- hopefully lifestyle responsive epigenetic clock. And then we can come and uh, come to you, Ben, and say, hey, Ben, you are five years older because A, B, C, and D. And in order to improve it, the, the best intervention for you is, uh, I don't know, to exercise more, okay? So it will be very similar to the inner age that we built together with uh, Lenny Garant and David Sinclair, that basically we can uh, uh, break it down to a pieces and come tell you, hey, uh, you are, Gil, you are five years older, but the reason for that is mainly glucose. And in order to improve glucose, you need to eat more fiber, you need to exercise more, you need to sleep better and so on. So that's an ad, another, uh, 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 I think, nice way to, uh, to estimate longevity and also then uh, give some uh, intervention for that. So th- those are a few examples, but we can definitely go uh, deeper if you like. Yeah. So Dr. Sinclair speaks about insulin, mTOR, uh, specifically those two a lot in sirtuins. And I'd like to go down those paths if you're open to it. Hey, everybody. We'll be right back to this podcast after a quick message from our sponsor. 
All right, ladies and gents, boys and girls, Organifi.com slash muscle is where you should go to get hooked up with the best greens, reds, and ultimately yellow super juice, super food drink that you can find, or at least the one that I'm using probably about two weeks of the month, and I'll explain exactly how I do that. So typically with greens juices, I like to rotate through. I don't like to use them all the time. So I'll use a, about one to two bottles of Organifi Green consecutively, and I'll usually mix one scoop of green with one scoop of red, usually mid-morning, just before I'm about to eat, uh, and oftentimes after I train to help my body get those nutrients that I need. I find Organifi to be a great source of multiple nutrients that my body needs, and it gives me energy. I really feel like I'm doing something good for myself when I consume green juice. You know, there's days when you don't get to eat. There's days when you don't get to be perfect with your diet. Organifi makes me feel that I'm doing something great with myself. And I add the reds in there as a little bonus because it's so important for cardiovascular health. It's so important for muscle contraction, muscle pumps, erectile function. We want to make sure we get those uh, bright red fruits and berries and beets into our body to improve nitric oxide production. So uh, one scoop of green, one scoop of red is a great way to complement your current lifestyle and make you feel great. Head over to Organifi.com slash muscle and use the code muscle to get hooked up with 20% off. And now back to the podcast. So I hear so many conflicting conversations around mTOR. In fact, I just interviewed somebody who you should have on your podcast, uh, Dr. Benjamin Bickman from, uh, I think he's from Brigham Young. He's brilliant. He's, he's a, he's a, um, professor of metabolism. And we spoke about mTOR and, and he, he's of the belief that Dr. Sinclair is mistaken in his understanding and implications of mTOR. And so I'm curious, um, yeah, like what are you guys looking at when it comes, I mean, Dr. Sinclair says you got to minimize mTOR because um, it has a direct Im- implication on sirtuins. So I'm curious if you could just draw some lines there for me to, to connect some dots and create some bridges. Yeah, of course. So uh, I think that uh, uh, let's let's start with uh, mTOR. So mTOR is uh, basically a, a target for a, a, a drug that's called rafamycin. And uh, what uh, have been shown uh, uh, for a long t- time is that actually rafamycin is an inhibitor of mTOR, and mTOR is important for uh, uh, basically. A protein utilization and uh, metabolism, and it uh, it showed that uh, when uh, you treat a, a model organism with rafamycin, you can uh, increase the lifespan of them. And uh, the data is uh, pretty strong. The effect is uh, uh, let's say not huge. You increase uh, the lifespan, let's say, but ten to twenty percent. But if you look at that, there, there was a, a study in, uh, that is founded by the NIH that they are looking at uh, uh, what they are doing. They are doing a, a study with mice in a few different centers. So you study it in, uh, let's say, I don't know, at MIT, at Harvard, and at uh, Stanford, whatever the labs are. And you do the study together. Uh, and then you see whether... Uh, what is the result of each study? Because when you do a study, I'm sure that you heard about it, you have, uh, sometimes you have an anomaly that suddenly a, a drug or a, the experiment worked, but it's very hard to reproduce. That's a big problem of science. So what they said, okay, let's solve this issue. Let's do it in three different centers and tr- uh, try to see what is the effect. And what they found with mTOR is that uh, the result uh, uh, that they've seen was uh, uh, very positive. 
that actually mTOR significantly increased the lifespan in all the centers. By suppressing it? By, yeah, mTOR is, sorry, uh, rafamycin, sorry. Rafamycin. Uh, rafamycin, yeah. Treating with rafamycin suppress uh, mTOR. And that was specifically in yeast cells or? or no, that was in mice. And the, the question that was thrown back at me was, well, did the, quali- you know, did the subjective measure of quality of life change? Because his suggestion was, there was probably some nuance there around like, do you want to live long? Like you talk health span versus lifespan. And I'm curious if any consideration was made there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not sure what, they st- uh, what was the secondary uh, goal of the study. So I, I cannot say about, about that, but uh, if I recall correctly, yeah, they, they not only live longer, but also they look better. But again, I'm not uh, 100% uh, sure about that. So now there is actually someone that maybe it will be good for you to interview, Matt Kemberlein from uh, Seattle, if you heard about him. He's uh, actually uh, a former uh, uh, graduate student at Lenny's Lab, and now he's a professor at the University of Washington in Seattle. And he's uh, uh, doing a study with dogs, so uh, companion dogs, so uh, like the dog that you have at your house, or I don't have a dog, but if I had a dog, the dog that I have in my house. And he's actually studying the effect of mTOR on dogs. And the reason for that is, uh, is because... Mice are living in the lab, and when you you have it in the lab, it's not very similar to the environment that we have. If you think about the dogs, they they have a very similar environment. They a lot of time they eat the food that you eat. They sleep a lot of time. They sleep with you in the bed. Uh, they they have the uh, environment of your home. It's it's very similar to us. It's very close to us, and also they are a bit bigger than a. Uh, uh, the mice. So he's doing now a study on uh, uh, basically the effect of uh, rafamycin on the longevity of dogs. So I think that we, sh- we should have a result from that uh, soon. Anecdotically, he started a, a pilot study with dogs and he has seen a nice a positive effect on uh, the health of the dogs. If I recall correctly, he, he has seen some improving the cardiovascular health and other uh, endpoints that related to longevity. So I think that uh, uh, rafamycin have a lot of uh, potential. I'm not saying, I'm not taking rafamycin. There are some people that are taking it. I'm not doing it because I'm uh, trying to be very careful with drug. But I think that it's definitely have a lot of potential. So that's about that. And another uh, drug that people are really excited about that is uh, metformin. And that related more to the uh, insulin pathway uh, it's a, a, a drug that actually, uh, uh, the indication for this drug is uh, actually diabetes. So uh, pre-diabetic and diabetic are taking uh, metformin. And they are taking it, I don't know, for uh, maybe decades. And uh, when uh, the scientific community started to do meta-analysis on uh, uh, metformin, they realized that uh, when you compare diabetic population that doesn't consume uh, metformin versus the subpopulation that using metformin as a drug, the lifespan of the uh, subpopulation that uh, uh, treat with metformin is significantly longer in the diabetic population than the lifespan of uh, the diabetic that are not on this drug. You need to remember that uh, uh, diabetes is a, a very sm- a strong cause of mortality. So uh, if you compare a diabetic population to non-diabetic population, diabetic population on average live maybe a decade less than a non-diabetic. It's so 
it, the difference is so big. And what they've seen that uh, basically if you compare diabetic without metformin and then diabetic with metformin and people that are not diabetic, suddenly the people with diabetic with metformin even live a bit longer than people that are not diabetic without metformin because currently none of us taking the metformin. And that's say, okay, maybe we should, maybe metformin is a, 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 a actually drug of longevity. So um, they again started to do some experiment in uh, uh, labs, in animals, and in, uh, some of them are in mice. And uh, there is some data on mice that show that actually metformin increased the lifespan in mice as well. There are some uh, experiments, like uh, similar to the experiment that I described before, three centers and all of that, that the results were questionable. But what is nice about metformin that you have humans. So even if it doesn't work in mice, I don't care about mice. I want us to live longer, not the mice. So currently, there is a, 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 another scientist. His name is uh, Nir Barzilai. Maybe you also need to have him in, on your podcast. And he's a, a, a scientist at uh, uh, Albert Einstein in, uh, in New York City. And he's uh, uh, currently run a, a clinical trial in human and trying to see whether metformin uh, can uh, increase lifespan or delay the onset of aging-related diseases in normal humans. So that is a very exciting uh, uh, a drug because you already have a lot of data about it from a, uh, basically from a diabetic population. So it's definitely safe because diabetic uh, people are taking it for decades. Uh, it shows already an effect on diabetic. So there is a very good chance, in my opinion, that uh, actually metformin will allow us to live longer. Again, the effect is like, I would say around 10%. So it's not like we can uh, live to 200. But think about the uh, average uh, uh, American right now that live for 80. It's not bad to add another eight years to your life. I would pay a lot of money for that. Yeah, for sure. So mechanistically, is that dropping glucose or is that dropping insulin or is it improving cellular uptake of glucose? Yeah, so, so, yeah, so the mechanism uh, is not 1% clear, but uh, uh, most likely it's uh, getting to the mitochondria and basically uh, uh, inhibit some of the complex there and basically then uh, uh, somehow uh, uh, slow your uh, uh, metabolic active and by that uh, uh, increase the, uh, uh, the longevity. That's what uh, uh, the mechanism looks like. It's just slowing down the function of it? Yeah, it's slowing down the, the function. That's, there, there are a lot of theories about that, but it looks like that's the uh, uh, most... Uh, it's also have been shown to inhibit uh, MAP3 kinase, which is a signaling that related to the insulin pathway. So it's, it, it's not very clean, like every uh, drug that you have. Uh, uh, it's not very clear, but uh, those are the two main mechanisms that uh, I know that uh, metformin is working on. Interesting. So, you know, from what I know, mitochondrial health is a big part of optimization and longevity, right? We want to have, you know, robust, abundant mitochondria. And so is, is it decreasing mitochondrial function or that am I not getting that right? No, we, what, what you can do is, uh, if you think about it, mitochondria uh, is also, yeah, it's uh, uh, taking uh, uh, the glucose and uh, uh, making from it energy as an ATP. But when the mitochondria is working, it's also creating a ROS, a reactive oxygen species. So uh, having a, a, a mitochondria working a, a, a too much or working a, a uncontrolled can uh, cause a lot of damage. So 
uh, you need to come for a balance for the mitochondria to, to work in the right uh, level and uh, be controlled. And when we are getting older, our mitochondria become less and less efficient. And also the wall of the mitochondria are less and less efficient. So then the reactive oxygen species can uh, leak into the cell and maybe into the nucleus and make DNA damage and the DNA damage can cause cancer. So uh, what, what, what we want is to uh, basically balance it. So I'm going to ask a question I'm not sure if you'll have an answer to, but um, obviously being in longevity space, one of the most common things that everyone's talking about right now is fasting and autophagy. And I'm curious if you guys have done any or seen any any data on what markers are actually shifting when somebody fasts. Is it, is it typically just the the insulin, glucose, and, and triglyceride markers, obviously cholesterol as well? Or is there other things that maybe seem somewhat unrelated to metabolism that are shifting in people who are chronic fasters? Yeah, so I haven't looked specifically on a, a chronic a faster, but uh, what uh, I've seen and what the literature is, is showing is very similar to what you said, that uh, 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 the, the glucose, the triglyceride, the, uh, the lipids, are uh, going significantly down. Uh, you can also see, again, we are not measuring it, but I've seen in the literature, your uh, blood pressure is going down, which is also a very strong uh, marker of uh, longevity. Lower blood pressure is, uh, again, because uh, cardiovascular diseases are uh, a big killer of humans. Um, and I think that uh, uh, I think that a lot of the effect of uh, uh, the fasting is also decreasing uh, your BMI or decreasing uh, basically your, uh, let's say, body fat percentage, another uh, way to look at it. Um, and uh, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, correlation between uh, optimal, uh, let's say, body fat percentage or BMI and uh, uh, better survival or uh, longevity. So uh, a lot of those, uh, uh, the fasting doing that, obviously, as you said, uh, there is the autophagy and the other effect that uh, helping uh, uh, the body to behave better. It's also help you to uh, maintain your body better because think about it, if you eat all the time and you eat two seconds before you went to sleep, so your gut is working uh, during the sleep, your uh, uh, heart is working all the night and the, the heart is a pump. It's literally a simple pump that pumping and pumping and pumping and each pump have a lifespan. So let's say that our uh, heart can pump, I don't know, a billion times. So every uh, <laughs> addition of a uh, heart rate per minute can uh, uh, decrease the lifespan of the pump. So if you uh, uh, fast, you, you allow the pump to work less. Also the gut working less and less chance uh, for a uh, uh, some of your gut cells to become uh, pre-malignant and then cancerous. So there, there is a lot of effect of that that allow you to rest and allow you to uh, basically uh, um, become clean the body and allow it to uh, replenish for the future. Another thing that uh, uh, fasting or caloric restriction can do is uh, when you are hungry, you are more ready and you are more alert. So uh, think about, uh, let's take the analogy of, uh, let's say that you have a multi-billionaire versus someone that uh, uh, live on the dime. And, uh, I don't think about uh, the money that he buy the food every day. So the billionaire uh, lie in the beach and uh, lie in his uh, uh, private jet and having fun. And the other guy is all the time allowed. So if uh, uh, something happened to the billionaire, it's very hard for him to do it, to do something because he's... Uh, 
he gained a lot of fat, he's slow, he's, uh, but while the other guy that is allowed all the time is ready to, uh, uh, to respond all the time. And I think that that's another uh, point that uh, caloric restriction doing to you because you are uh, hungry and alert, you, you are more ready if inflammation coming or if a uh, virus come to you or if you have uh, uh, some issues. So that's an, another thing that uh, caloric restriction can help with. So can we talk a little bit more about sirtuins? So I don't know a lot about them. I know obviously we've heard that, you know, suppressing sirtuins or, or maybe I'm wrong, maybe expressing sirtuins, you can tell me which one it is, is correlated with longevity, but what actually do they do? Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, sirtuins are, a, a, they call histone deacetylase or protein deacetylase. What does it mean is when you have a protein, uh, there are a, a modification on the protein. So you can add, for example, you can phosphorylate protein, okay? That's what a, a NAPK kinase doing. It's adding a phosphate into a protein. There are other a, a modification like acetylation. So you can acetylate a protein. Uh, you can also acetylate histone. And uh, histone are actually the protein that uh, the DNA is going around it. So you can uh, acetylate or deacetylate. Acetylation of an histone, uh, making a, a, a changing the chromatin, and basically chromatin is the DNA, how it's uh, wrapped around, and that can uh, uh, basically regulate the transcription, basically the expression of the genes. So uh, sirtunin uh, in yeast were identified as histone deacetylase. Basically, they're moving the acetyl from uh, uh, the histone and then changing the expression of genes. What uh, we found after that, that actually sirtinum can also deacetylate other protein, not only uh, histone, but also other proteins. And by that, they can regulate the activity of those proteins. Okay. Now, what a, a, a former postdoc at uh, Lenis Lab actually found it at the uh, Lenis Gawenta Lab, that they are NAD-dependent deacetylase. What does it mean? They, uh, they need NAD in order to deacetylate, in order to be active. And that's basically uh, started the excitement about NAD, because then uh, a lot of labs say, oh, NAD, NAD is actually a, a part of the energy currency. So you have ATP, but we also have NAD, NADH. Basically, it's part, especially in the mitochondria, that's part of creation, the energy. And then uh, uh, people say, hey, if it's a, a, a NAD-dependent deacetylase, maybe it's a, a, the regulation of the activity of uh, the serotonin is based on the availability of NAD. And uh, some labs show that actually older cells or older uh, uh, animals have lower amount of NAD. And then uh, some people said, okay, or some scientists said, okay, if we will... Uh, add uh, uh, some NAD to the, uh, to the body, then maybe we'll activate the serotonin and then we can uh, allow the, uh, the organism to live long. Thank you. That's a great explanation. And I'm curious if there's a correlation between um, sirtuins and X differentiation, because I know David talks a lot about that. I'm not sure if that's something that you specifically study, um, but I know David's been recently talking about X differentiation on this podcast. Yeah. Um, I don't know about uh, a serotonin and X differentiation. Uh, there might be some correlation, but I haven't uh, uh, heard about it. Are you guys um, in any way looking at 
mechanisms of, of studying blood markers that may identify X differentiation? And if you could, if you know anything about it, if you could describe it for us. No, I, 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 we are not studying it. And the, the, maybe let's talk about the, uh, uh, the X chromosome. And the, uh, basically, uh, you, you, if you, a male have one X chromosome, okay, uh, a female have uh, two X chromosomes. So basically, uh, what happens is that uh, if uh, uh, in a female there is a one uh, a chromosome that uh, become active and the other one uh, becomes silenced, okay? So uh, during the differentiation uh, for a female, one of the X chromosome becomes silent, the other one is active. Now, uh, if you think about male versus female, it's uh, actually very fascinating, is that... Uh, Female are living, uh, I don't know, three years or two, two and a half years longer than us. And it's still a, a bit of enigma why women are uh, living longer than us. And th- there was a, a one theory that said, yeah, because they, in the reproductive age, actually, uh, female are much more important than males. Males uh, uh, can uh, uh, basically initiate the creation of uh, the baby and then it can disappear and the still the female can uh, carry it and uh, can take care of it and all of that. So uh, some uh, theories said, hey, uh, there is a protection of uh, a female at the uh, 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 productivity age, let's say between zero and 50, and that's why they, uh, uh, they live longer. Another theory uh, said that, uh, and I think that that's a, a theory that uh, might be right, is that female have two X chromosomes. So if you have some... Uh, a problem in the replication of X chromosome, they still can then reactivate another piece of the other chromosome or the old chromosome, and then they will have the copy that they need. While for us as a male, you have one. You, you lost it, you are in a, in a, in a big problem. So that's a, a, another a maybe a reason why they live longer. But uh, if you think about it and you look at the uh, males, we are also much more aggressive. Males are much more aggressive uh, and much more risk taker. So even in a, in a young age, you can see that uh, males are uh, dying uh, more than uh, females because we are making uh, crazy stuff. We are running in the street. In the street. We are uh, going to a war. We are doing stuff that uh, uh, women are a, a bit more, uh, let's say, conservative. So, so there are a lot of theories about why males are uh, living shorter than females, but the high level is that we really don't know, and it's not uh, 100% clear why a female live longer than us. Very interesting. And so there's so many questions that I have with regard to kind of the typical things we hear around longevity. So we hear about inflammation, we hear about um, oxidative stress, you know, we hear about insulin and glucose, we hear about obviously um, triglycerides, we hear about cholesterol, you know, the list is, is very, very extensive. And I'm curious what you specifically, maybe personally or otherwise, maybe, maybe what, you, what you focus on and what you suggest maybe the listener focus on. Because as I say, there's so many potential areas. Does it have to be very individualized where I'm going to come to Inside Tracker, do my blood, you're going to tell me what's important for me? Or are there some basic things that you suggest, hey, you know what, in general, you, everyone should be doing these basic practices? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a very fair question. And I would say that uh, it's the 80-20. So if you want to do the 80%, you don't need Insta Tracker. If you want to do the other 80-20%, yes, you need Insta Tracker. So there are like uh, uh, 
a lot of uh, simple things that we need to do that uh, I, I think that it will be pretty obvious for uh, your audience, but you need to sleep well, you need to eat well, uh, don't eat uh, the junk food, don't, everything that is in the package is not good for you. Uh, try to exercise, but don't over-exercise. So I'm seeing a lot of uh, superhuman, we're going back, that they're exercising too much, and for them, rest day will be good for them. Um, you need to, uh, to de-stress. I think that uh, uh, those goodies and the computers and all of that are not very good for us. They are okay when we're doing work, but don't uh, look at your Instagram at uh, 10 p.m., go to sleep. Uh, we, are, we are not appreciating sleep enough, and uh, uh, some people, and I assume that a lot of your audience, uh, uh, will, uh, uh, will go to a run at uh, 5 a.m. instead of sleeping from 5 to 6. So I would say, if you have this uh, 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 debate between uh, uh, run at 5 a.m. or a sleep between 5 to 6, I will take the sleep every day. But what if you can't get, what if you can't get the exercise in any other time? What if that's the only time to do it? But, but it, that's an excuse, in my opinion, because you have, uh, let's assume that you wake up every day at 6 and you uh, wake until 10 a.m. I'm sure that you can uh, fit it in some, somehow. Maybe. How many kids you got? <laughs> <laughs> I got two, but uh, they're older. But another option is, okay, you want to run at 5? Go to sleep at 9 if the kids go. So, so uh, what I'm saying, it's like your body needs to rest. And we, we discussed it before about your uh, heart and the pump and all of that. You need to give it a rest. So uh, it's, it's very important to, uh, to, to do those stuff. The, the simple thing that will, will allow you to distress, sleep well, eat well, exercise well, and, but not uh, go crazy. So that's the 80%. Then if you want to do the 20%, then we are going personalized. So we can find exactly uh, uh, what are the issues that you have. It's like flying a, a coach versus a first class. So there we are looking very carefully about you and we see, hey, you have some issue with your iron. So because you have an issue with your iron, you don't receive enough uh, uh, oxygen to your muscle and brain. Okay, so let's increase your iron. Or you have an issue, a specific issue with uh, uh, your B12. So again, you, you are not creating enough uh, red blood cells and uh, you have an issue with the, uh, uh, your brain uh, uh, activity. Uh, so, so those are the 20% that uh, uh, can uh, uh, pinpoint you and allow you to hopefully to go to better longevity, but also improving your, uh, optimize you and becoming superhuman, go, going back to this. So if you want to be superhuman, definitely you need to do something like Insta Tracker. If you just want to live uh, uh, okay and uh, 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 do what you can do without uh, going crazy, you can do that, but uh, uh, you won't get to the, uh, to the tip. But you still do a lot because I think that uh, currently our uh, society, we are, we, we are very bad. We are uh, eating, drinking, and uh, partying instead of uh, taking care of the most important machine that we have, which is our body. Yeah. Gil, does it seem like the most important markers in longevity seem to come back to food? Like it seems like if you just eat less, chances are you're probably going to do pretty well. Is that a general, I mean... It seems like most of them come back. To, obviously, it comes back to stress, comes back to sleep, and it comes back to food. It seems like those three things. Yeah, I will tell you why food is uh, so important and so complex. Because uh, if you think about it, we make maybe 200 different uh, food decisions in a day. What should I eat? When should I eat it? How much should I eat it? Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, where should I eat it? And we are thinking about it so much. So it's much harder than exercise. 
average person exercise, I know, once a, uh, once a day. So you wake up in the morning, as you said, let's say uh, 5 a.m., you go for a run, and you are done. But here you need to eat, you eat uh, breakfast, you have lunch, you have dinner, you have a snack between. Also, uh, a lot of time, uh, 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 the feeding time is a social time, so you go with your friend to the bar, and you go to a restaurant, and then you eat just because uh, you are social. And it's very hard to control it, because we are also very bad in estimation. There are studies that show that if I'll ask you now, uh, what have you ate today? And uh, I will uh, uh, put a camera and see, most likely you will, you will underestimate it, but at least 50%, okay? So we are, and you won't remember the bad stuff. You'll remember the good stuff. Hey, yeah, I, I ate the oatmeal in the morning, but we'll forget the chocolate that you ate after that, or uh, I don't know, the Coke that you drink after that. So I think that the, uh, It's, because it's so complex and there are so many things, it's, it's, it's the hardest to optimize. Well, exercise is pretty easy. It's like you, what you need to find is what you like to do and then do it and they, it's, it's simple. I think that's one of the reasons, but I also think the fact that nobody can agree on, on a correct answer, right? So you have some people saying that you, know, you need protein because you've got to maintain muscle for longevity. Muscle is the organ of longevity. You need to maintain muscle because it's your metabolic machinery. Then you have people saying, hey, you got to suppress mTOR so you can't eat any protein. Then you got people saying, you know what? Plants are very inflammatory and those are going to be bad for you. You got people saying the only thing you should be eating is plants. And it, it's a very, uh, you know, se- seemingly confusing uh, landscape, right? It's like, wh- what do I do? And, and again, finding someone who's an expert in this space, what I tend to find, and I'm sure you'll agree, is most people at the top of the totem pole, they're all saying the same thing, right? The people who actually look at the data, look at the research, for the most part, are all saying more or less the same things. Obviously, there's a little bit of nuance, but in general, it's like, uh, it seems like most people are saying the same thing when it comes to food. Yeah. In, in, again, uh, in my opinion, each of us is unique. So if you, there is no a cookie cutter uh, diet. If you want really to know what you should do, test your blood, look at your uh, uh, physiological markers, understand what are the issues that you have, and then adjust it. Uh, but uh, if, you, it's very, if you want to have like more like a general, you can, uh, there is a lot of data that show that the Mediterranean diet is, uh, is on average good for us. A vegan diet is a good for us, uh, but it's, it's very hard to come and say exactly for each person without knowing what are the issues that you have. Do you have a high iron, low iron, high B12, low B12, high inflammation, low inflammation? All of that can uh, help us to fit a very personalized diet for you that uh, will help you to be better. Yeah, and I think that the, the hard thing is you could read a piece of data and then based on your, maybe you in this instance, but the scientist's bias, they can see specific things and then report very specific things. Because what I've noticed in some scientists is they're cherry picking the data that comes through and like, oh, you know, this diet's better than this diet, but they, they neglected the nuance. And it may not be, you know, with ill intent, it just may just be, hey, they, they didn't think about that or they didn't see it as an important piece because what we realize is with experts, they're an expert in a really narrow area and their brain zeroes in on things. And I see this a lot with scientists. It's like their brain zeroes in on one thing and doesn't understand the other confounding variables. So then you have somebody come in who's like a deep generalist and goes, hey, I understand all these things and how they're implicating in these, these scenarios. And you get a completely different response. Um, so, so it's hard to know who to trust. Yeah, I, I, I'm 100% with you. And, and I think that uh, 
you need to look at the, our body in holistic view. So it's not enough to look only on the glucose or look only on the triglyceride. So you need to look at all of that. So uh, I like to, to say that it's like a, a TV. You have an old TV that used to be black and white. Then you have the color TV. Then you have the, uh, let's say, the uh, high-definition TV. And then you have the uh, 4K TV. And in order to, up, our body is complex. So if you want really to understand our body, use the 4K TV. And what does it mean? Look at as many blood biomarkers. Look at as many physiomarkers. Look at your DNA. And then based on all of that, understand what is the situation. And then, then when you have all this input, you can, the output can be a very specific and personalized diet for you. Right. And then do it every six months, three to six months, so you can have some, some idea of what's actually happening with your interventions. Yeah, yeah, because our body is so complex, so uh, it's very hard to predict if the intervention will work or not. So test again, and also it could be that something has uh, broken up during that time. So I agree with you. Uh, retest is basically a feedback loop, and again, if you, it's a very complex uh, machine, and we are taking our car every five thousand miles to the technician. So we should uh, treat our body at least in that level. Take your body, do the test, understand what's happening, and uh, change the intervention and do it again and again and again. Gil, thanks so much for your time. Where can our audience learn more from you and Inside Tracker if they want to test out the product? Um, where can they go? Yeah, definitely. They can come to InsideTracker.com and they find all the information. As I said before, we started a podcast with a scientist on longevity called Longevity by Design. So you're welcome to come there. And you can also find us on a social at uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter and so on. Amazing, Gil. Thank you very much for your time and your wisdom. And uh, I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you so much, Ben. It was a pleasure. That's a wrap, ladies and gents. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Dr. Gil Blander. Uh, if you're aspiring for wellness, if you're aspiring for muscle building, fat loss, body transformation, longevity, paying attention to your internal metrics is a really good, I wouldn't say it's a first step by any stretch, but it's definitely a good stretch for someone who's looking to be objective. And what, who would want to be objective? Well, maybe if your health isn't great, you want to objectify. So one of the things I do with all my high-level coaching clients is we start objectively. We want to say, we're going to measure blood urine, stool, saliva, DNA, so we can not guess. So for me, this is the fast track, right? So if you're someone who's looking for a fast track to optimization, guessing can't be part of your life. You need to measure, you need to test, you need to objectively move toward optimization. If you're someone who thinks you're pretty good and you're complacent being pretty good, then by all means, do not measure. Measurement is not necessary for you. Uh, but if you're someone who really cares about your time, your health, and you value ultimately the ability to live long and strong and be abundant in energy, then my suggestion is you do consider checking out something like Inside Tracker. They are not a sponsor of the podcast. Uh, they're just someone who I took interest in personally because I do have such a tremendous interest in optimization and longevity and ultimately in objectifying these things. So uh, thank you very, doc very much, Dr. Gil Blander, for joining us and sharing this amazing information. Today's podcast has two amazing sponsors that you should check out. One, a little reminder about our friends over at Organifi.com with their amazing suite of high quality organic products that are known to optimize your body, make you feel great, and ultimately are all vegan friendly. Um, and our amazing long time, long, long time sponsor, Bioptimizers. And they've got this incredible suite of products. And the ones I use personally are Masszymes, uh, Capex, um, Magnesium Breakthrough, 
uh, HCL Breakthrough. There's a couple other ones in there that I'm probably missing, but just such an incredible array of products that uh, we know are well-researched, well-documented, and ultimately are for you to optimize your body, mind, and life. Ladies and gents, thanks for being here. Thank you for always supporting the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, and I hope I can continue to bring you such value-packed information that you share this podcast with at least one person you know and love. And always don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and everywhere else. Amazing podcasts are listening. Have a great day. Have your greatest life in the body of love. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.